Um, the most cosmopolitan thing we did this week was get our passport stamped at the border of Linden when we went to the fair. Do you know what those are? What? Poffridges. Poffridges, not G's. Poffridges. There you go. That's how it's spelled. And uh, they're little pastry, pancakey, delicacy things. How many of you had them? Oh, yeah. How many of you would have them today if you could get them? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're awesome little things. I think the Linden Fair is the only place I've ever seen them. I'm sure there are Dutch people. Street Fair? Okay. Great little thing. While we were walking around the fair, I heard somebody trying to describe these to someone who'd never seen them. And they just couldn't find the words to get it out. And, you know, their friends kind of going, eh, whatever, whatever. And while one of us was in line uh, getting some poffridges, um, my wife heard somebody trying to encourage their friend to get some. And they were describing them. And the friend was going on like, I would never eat something like that. And then later, she saw that person going after a plate of poffridges like a pit bull after a T-bone steak. <laughs> Some things you just have to experience to really understand how wonderful they are. And one of those things is living in the will of God. Before you understand how sweet it is to submit yourself to God, it seems a bit distasteful. Because especially us in America are raised with this idea that we have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness as we see it. And so when God comes along and he says, now get into the harness with me and work with me and you will find rest for your souls. And people looking from the outside go, I would never do that. But I want to tell you today that living in the will of God is the sweetest thing because it enables us to be spiritually strong. And let's find out from John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Um, Jesus is talking to a religious man who is seeking out Christ, trying to understand his message. And starting in verse 6, or excuse me, verse 3. Jesus answered to him and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, the religious man who had come to him, said, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know, and we testify what we've seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? 
No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The first thing that I want you to understand about living in the will of God today is this. Living in the will of God brings security about eternity. There is no greater strength to be had by human beings than to face their death and the time after their death with confidence and strength. God tells us what it means here to live in his will, and he tells the blessing that comes from it. He puts it very clearly throughout this passage, and that's why I read the whole passage, because multiple times Jesus says, you must, you must, you must. And that's one of the things that human beings don't like about God, because God says, you must. He says, you must be born again. How are you born again? You're born again by believing in Christ. The scripture says he was lifted up. That's a reference to being put on a cross And he was put there because God punished him for our sins. And when we believe that Jesus was the Son of God, that he died for our sins, when we believe that, God causes us to be born anew. And the chief result of that new birth is security about eternity. Last year's shooting at the Linden Fair rattled a lot of people who were used to thinking those things only happen in big cities far away. A lot of security measures put in this year to try to keep that from happening. Thank the Lord it didn't. Our whole nation has been rattled by a young man who for no apparent apparent reason planned and prepared and came and murdered and injured dozens of people in a Colorado movie theater. I heard a friend this week uh, talking about politics and economics and including saying, you know, if certain things happened in economics and it affected the East Coast in a certain way to create certain kind of results from these economic downturns and if the power went off and this and that and the other, he said, many, many people are going to die. And right about now, some of you are thinking, I didn't come in here today to be reminded of how bad the world is. But I want to tell you that the fear of death is a wise thing. If you're not afraid to die, you're stupid until you become a believer in Jesus Christ. We ought to look at death and say, that is a great unknown, and it ought to cause us to turn and say, is there someone who knows? And Jesus told Nicodemus, the only man who knows is the man who came from eternity into this world, and he said, I am the guy telling you, you must believe. When you believe in Christ, you can be absolutely secure for eternity. God does not promise a pain-free existence here, but he does guarantee an eternal existence with him in heaven. 
When you submit to the will of God by believing in Christ, you gain peace about life after death. It's hard to submit yourself to God. It's hard to admit you're a sinner. It's hard to come and say, okay, I will believe. But the strength and the benefit and the peace that comes from it is well worth the cost. Jesus said, your heart does not need to be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me, in my Father's house or in heaven. There are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Living in the will of God brings the strength of security about eternity. Secondly, living in the will of God brings relationship with God. Look at this from 1 John 3. This is a parallel passage to John 3.16. And this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave us commandment. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he's given us. Kind of a tongue twister there in verse 24. But what he says is God commands us to believe. But when we are willing to believe, one of the great results is that God comes into us. It says that we, we abide in him and he abides in us. It's a two-way relationship. Listen to these other statements about the relationship with God that we have. I am with you always. Always. Even to the end of the age. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Or this, he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear we moved to uh, Marysville, Washington, in the middle of my fifth grade school year. And I enjoyed my new class. Mr. Scriminger, I believe, was my teacher. And I enjoyed every part of it except one boy. And for some reason, that boy didn't like me. Uh, I, I, I honestly don't believe I ever did anything to him. Um, I, you know, only God knows whether that's true. But my recollection, and, and I didn't really realize this until years later, when we worked at the same place, my first job was, was dishwashing. I was a union dishwasher. Yeah, you bet. Union dishwashers get them the cleanest. Most of the time. And we worked in this same place, and he antagonized me then. And I thought, what in the world is your problem, dude? And, and honestly, I don't know. I've never seen him since. Never been to his high school reunion. I, I haven't been able to make that. I have no idea why he didn't like me from the beginning and continued as long as we knew. I'm a very likable person. <laughs> Isn't that right? <laughs> there are people in life who are mean, Selfish and rude. There are people who will break into your home or car and steal your belongings. You will probably have at least one job with a boss 
who will make your work life painful. There are all kinds of things in life that are hard, but you can know this for certain, that you will never face the difficulty of life alone once you have believed in Christ as your Savior, because God will never leave you nor forsake you. You might be unfriended on Facebook, unlinked on LinkedIn, have your address marked as junk mail by those who you thought were your friends, but there will always be the friend who sticks closer than a brother. We will always be God's fellow workers. We will always be part of the body of Christ. We will always have boldness to enter the holiest of holies. We will always be joint heirs with Christ of the whole world. If we have believed in Christ as our Savior, no matter how hard things get in this world, we will always have God, and God will always have us. And that is a tremendously strengthening truth. The third thing I want to share with you today about living in the will of God and how it brings strength is this. Living in the will of God brings confidence to our choices. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 2, please. Proverbs chapter 2. As I've already mentioned, I, I spent some time at the fair this week. I spent one day there... Um, with the sheriff's uh, display, uh, they try to connect with the community and show what's going on in the sheriff's office. And I was there for a day with that, and then uh, Sue and I were back for another day. Um, while I was at the sheriff's office booth at the fair, there was a group of cars right next to us from the Dodge dealer. And they were shiny and loaded with options. Right up front was a shiny new Dodge 300. Now, if you don't know your Dodge cars, that's a real shame. But a Dodge 300 is the same model as, as the old Magnum station wagon that I'm driving, except the station wagon has that back end piece on it. So it's a wonderful, wonderful car. It was sitting there, marked down $9,000. You know, if there's a $9,000 discount, it's got to be pretty darn expensive to start with. They're practically giving it away. <laughs> you see, in the will of God, I know how to make choices. At one point, during the day, I sat down in the shade next to some other people who were taking a break from standing up, and the person sitting next to me was making sinful comments about a woman who walked by. All day long while I was there, I kept smelling the wonderful aromas of food, and you know, fair food is not fair because it all blends together and the smell you smell is better than any individual food you will purchase. <laughs> and yet, purchase we do! And I purchased some, and I ate, but there was way more things to be tried out. 
I was at the fair at the request of the volunteer coordinator for the sheriff, and I was supposed to be there for a certain period of time. But there were many opportunities to get acquainted with people, and yet I needed to be here in the office getting ready for this sermon. I received a call this week from an old friend who needs some pastoral help. Help. His situation is something I've never personally experienced. These are just a few of the decisions and choices I had to make this week. Just a handful. We all have many choices and decisions that we have to make every day. How can we make them in a way that we can walk through life and end the day saying, I did the right things today? Let's find out in Proverbs chapter 2. My son... If you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, yes, if you cry out for discernment, if you lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver, if you search for her as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord, that's living in the will of God, and you will find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the paths of justice. He preserves the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity and every good path. When wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, discretion will preserve you. Understanding will keep you, to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things. I want to break this little passage into two sections. First of all, I want to look at what God promises us. Because God wants to help us, and he is able to inform the choices that we have to make. Look what he promises. Wisdom, knowledge, and understanding in verse 6. In verse 7, sound wisdom, and he promises to be a shield or a protection. He promises to guard and to preserve. He promises to give us the understanding of justice and equity. He promises to give us discretion. And lastly, he promises to deliver us from evil and the perverse man. Those are great promises. We need that kind of wisdom and strength as we go through our day. But the blessings are only available to those who live in the will of God. What does God require to to receive those things? You need to receive his words and treasure his commands. In other words, if you want to be wise, you have to have a receptive attitude toward God's word. Um, it's, It's not hard to be skeptical. It's not hard to be sinful and to try to explain away God's truth so it doesn't touch you. The question is, do you have a receptive attitude and say, okay, God, you know, I really don't want to hear it, but I have to. Do you incline your ear to wisdom and do you apply your heart to understanding? When God speaks, are you saying, yeah, 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 yeah. I already know that. Or when God speaks, when you read the word, is it, okay, God, I'm listening, and I'm going to do, I'm going to apply whatever I can understand. 
If you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, are you truly trying to find wisdom or are you trying to find self-justification? Are you seeking wisdom as silver and searching for wisdom as for a hidden treasure? I knew a youth group uh, many, many years ago who the youth pastor was trying to stimulate attendance and so they hid a $100 bill. This was back when a $100 bill was worth maybe $200, you know. And he hid a $100 bill somewhere in Salem, Oregon. And every week at youth group, they gave one clue at the end of the youth group. How many dollars would we have to give away to get people to come to church? Lord knows, I don't. We all know what it's like to seek money, get a better job, you know, find a better interest rate, get a better investment. God says, are you seeking God's truth the way you seek for money or for hidden treasure? God says we need to, we need to get wisdom from Him, from Him and from Him alone. From God comes wisdom. And then we read this in the last couple of verses. He stores up wisdom for the upright. God stores it up for the upright. You know, if wisdom really does come from God, there is a miraculous element in it. We take that for granted. Now, I believe in hard work in terms of learning the Bible, applying the Bible, all that. If you've been here for a while, you know that. But I also understand that God says, I'm not going to give my wisdom to just anybody, but the, the, the believers in me who are truly trying to do this, I'm going, to, I'm going to dole it out to them. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. I mean, it, it, before I preach this sermon, if I ask the question, do you want God's protection in your life? Everybody go, yeah, I want God's protection. Do you want it bad enough to walk righteously? That's the question. He guards the paths of justice. And he preserves the way of his saints. When wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, in other words, are, is this really where you want to be? Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. In Colossians 3, there's uh, you know, sort of a parallel passage here as we think about submitting to God's will and, and reaping the benefit that comes from that. Um, living in the, in the will of God requires an adherence to these four principles, as near as I can tell, from God's word. And the first is this. If you're going to honestly say, I am following the will of God, it begins with obeying the commands of God because that is what makes us righteous. Now, I'm not talking about earning salvation. We cannot earn salvation. It is a gift that is given to us when we believe in Christ as our Savior. But when that life of Christ is imparted, God says, now I want you to use what you've been giving. In... Uh, in 2 Peter chapter 1, he talks about all the blessings God has given us, and he says, for this very reason, giving diligence, add to your faith. 
knowledge and to knowledge. And he goes on to say that you need to work at your Christian life. And that starts with obeying the commands of God because that is how we live uprightly, as Proverbs 2 says. And if we live uprightly, God is going to dole out his wisdom to us. Secondly, living in the will of God requires applying the principles of God for clarification. Would it have been a sin for me to buy the Dodge 300? Don't listen to her. No, it would not have been a sin. Would it have been the wisest, best choice that would honor God the most? That question can only be answered by the principles of God. There are many things in our lives that are absolutely right and wrong according to God's commands, but there are many more things that are not absolutely right or wrong. We can't look at a verse of Scripture and say, see, it says, do not buy the Dodge 300. No, but we will find Scriptures that talk about all kinds of principles, and we'll look at this example in just a minute. Number three... We have to pursue the motivations of God for the purification of our heart. What are the motivations of God? Well, the, the chief among them is to live to honor God. But there are other motivations, which is living to serve God. Uh, you know, there are other kinds of motivations that God commends to us. And as we pursue those motives, it purifies what the choices we're making. You know, I looked at that car and I noticed the discount on it, but it wasn't even a real thought about buying the car because I have a lovely car and it's paid for and it gets me from here to there in wonderful comfort, better than any car I've ever had. I don't need a new car. And it won't help me to serve the Lord any better. There aren't any rich people here that I could chauffeur to church or anything like that. You know, I mean... As your motives are in the Lord, it helps you to make choices. Lastly, we listen for the peace of God for confirmation. I'm going to save you some difficulty here. Don't come and tell me you've prayed about a decision until you've done number one, two, and three. If you haven't done one, two, and three, prayer is not the thing to do. Now, don't get me wrong. I think you ought to pray about obedience. In other words, God help me to do it. I think you ought to pray about the principles. God help me to apply them carefully. You ought to pray about your motivations. God, please help me to have the right motives. You ought to pray about the whole process. But you cannot say, oh, I have prayed about buying the Dodge Magnum and I feel peace. If you haven't examined one, two, and three, And it's real easy to talk about praying and, you know, God didn't strike me with the bolt of lightning, so it must be okay. What I'm and, and frankly, I've heard many people say they have prayed about a decision that clearly was moral. It was right or wrong, and they're going to do the wrong thing because God has given them peace. That peace did not come from God. You want to live in the will of God, these are the things that we have to do. Now, let's look at Colossians chapter 3 and see how this is, is lived out here in the Scripture so that you know this isn't just my construct. But uh, 
but God's instruction. Colossians 3, if you then were raised with Christ, when you believed in Christ, you were elevated with him. Seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Therefore, here's what you should be doing now. Put to death your members, the parts of your human life, which are earthly, fornication, uncleanness, passion. And he lists a whole series of things, and it goes down throughout this passage. These are the commands of God. These are the commands. And, and when we say, what are the commands of God? Here's an example. Now, look at verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's a prime example of a principle. Whatever you do, do it in, 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 in the name of the Lord Jesus. Obviously, that means you've already settled the right and wrong issues because you can't do a sin in the name of the Lord. And so you've settled all of that. The right and wrong has been decided. Now here you are saying, what shall I do? It must be something I can say, I am acting in the name of Jesus. Wow, that's a lot tougher standard than even what's right and wrong. When you look at the Dodge Magnum, you have to say, in the name of Jesus, I claim you. And you have to honestly be able to look yourself in the heart and look yourself in the mirror and say, I did that for Jesus. And if you've got any good friends, they'll say, well, that might be a nice car, but <laughs> I don't think you did it for Jesus. And then there are the motivations. Look at verse 23. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord. In other words, as you think about your life, you say, someday I will answer for what I have done. That should motivate me to do the right things. And so there are motivations that will purify my decisions. And lastly, in verse 15, we have a reference to the peace. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were called. Colossians chapter 4, of course, talks about us uh, not being anxious or worried, but committing ourselves to God in peace and the result that, committing ourselves to God in prayer, and the result that comes is peace. And so I may have answered the questions about the Dodge 300, uh, is it right or wrong, am I doing it for the Lord, and all of that, but at the end of it I have to say, God, here is my decision, is it yours? And I have to be willing to let the peace of Christ rule. And if the peace of Christ is removed, I have to say no. I've said no to some pretty major decisions in my life after this whole process, but it came right down to the fact that God did not give me peace to go forward. And I said, you, you know, I called somebody up. I said, you know, I'm not quite sure why, but God is saying no. And I turned and went the other way, and it was of the Lord. But it comes after the commands, after the principles, after the motivations. The last thing that I would share with you about being strong from living in the will of God is this. Living in the will of God brings tranquility 
to our difficulties. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 3. I just love this passage of Scripture. I'd encourage you to spend some time there. Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. In this chapter, of course, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar has, has heard, got a revelation from God, actually. God told him some things that are going to happen. And instead of being humbled by the fact that God talked to him, he got proud and arrogant and made a statue and said, everybody's got to fall down and worship me, basically, and worship my statue. So starting in verse 4, we'll pick up that story. Then a herald cried out aloud, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nation, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the, lar- the, the harp, and the lyre, in symphony with all kinds of music, all the people's nations' languages fell down and worshipped the gold which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and the psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due reverence to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a rage and a fury, gave command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready, at the next time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, then you shall fall down and worship the image which I have made, then good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. We don't need to say anything. Start the music, see what happens. In the King James it says we don't have to be careful. You know, the idea, we don't even have to think about this. Verse 17 If that is the case, if you're going to do this, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. How in the world could they be so tranquil in the face of such a terrible death? Not just death, but such a terrible death. We read later it was so hot that the guys who threw them in died. Okay? 
The peace of God comes as we accept these concepts that are illustrated in this story. Number one, we have to obey God's clear commands. It goes right back to those four principles that I just shared with you. We have to obey God's clear commands. Every so often, there is a scare, either real or perceived, about the curtailing of the freedom of speech in regard to religion, as in, what will churches be able to say is right and wrong? As in, if you say certain things, you might go to jail. I'm going to tell you right now, folks, if it gets to that point, you should form a pulpit committee. Because I will be going to jail. If that's what happens, if they say, you can't say this and you can't say that and you can't say the other, that's hate speech. No, it is not. It is God's speech. And that's what these guys said. They said, look, you're telling us to disobey God. Have at it, King. Give it your best shot. We have to obey God's commands. And we don't have to do that just in the area of politics. We have to do that on the job. Somebody comes to you on the job and says, you either do this or you're getting fired. You have to say, God help me, give it your best shot, bud. You have to do this in your marriage. You have to do this in your dating life. You have to do this... Uh, in your school club or your school team, we're all going to go out and do such and so. And if you don't come, we're going to hate you. Well, give it your best shot. We have to be absolutely committed to walking in the will of God because otherwise there's no strength available. You will not be stronger if you give in to somebody's wicked demand. Number two, we have to believe that God does what is best. These guys said, you know what? Our God can deliver us. There's no doubt about that. But he might choose not to. There's a great maturity evidenced by these young men that you need to have. God will not always deliver you from the difficulties of life, whether they are the result of wickedness or apparent accident. We mentioned this morning a number of physical difficulties. Marion Pottle has a great-grandson, a little 18-month-old that might have... Uh, Lymphoma. Lymphoma. God may deliver. God may not. Uh, where's the Kurt Wrights? Where are you? There you are. You're upstairs. There you are. God delivered their baby from some difficulties. God has not delivered every baby. We have to be so committed to God's truth that we say God may deliver. He can deliver. There's no doubt about that. But he will not necessarily do it every time. And that's okay because he's God. God will do what is best. I am not going to stop obeying God because he does something I don't like. Number three, we have to understand that God doesn't always do what is most comfortable. Uh, you know, <laughs> I can't imagine what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego must have thought when those guys grabbed them and got ready to toss them in. They probably said, dude, it's been great working with you. <laughs> to their friends, said, maybe they said, see you on the other side. And I can't imagine what they thought while they were in the fiery furnace. Dude. 
you might find yourself in a fiery furnace. We've got some brothers right now in the fiery furnace called a, a prison in a Mideastern country because they've been preaching the gospel. And they're under a death sentence. And who knows what's going to happen. They are in the furnace. And they got there because they refused to quit preaching the truth. God doesn't always do what is most comfortable. But we must refuse to turn from God for any reason. We have to say, I am going to hold on to God's hand no matter what. Yesterday, Sue and I had a bright idea, one of us did, take the grandkids shopping. <laughs> and the other one said, that'd be wonderful. <laughs> and so we're walking across the parking lot here, hold my hand. Okay? Okay. It's been a long time since I had little kids, but I know that they don't look when they walk in the parking lot. Here, hold my hand. So hold a little while and then let go. You know, No, hold my hand. This is not going to happen on my watch. But you see, we're the same way with God. God says, hold my hand. And we'll hold it a little bit. God says, no, don't let go. This is going to be fiery. This is going to be hard. This is going to be difficult. But you just hang on, and you're going to come out the other side one way or the other. Walking in the will of God makes you strong. These guys looked the king of the world. He, he was basically the king of the civilized world, a known world. They looked him right in the eye and said, we don't have to answer this. And they weren't being arrogant. They were just saying, there, there's, no, there's no discussion here. Why? Because they were hanging on to God's hand. And when they got picked up and tossed into there, they were going, okay, I've never had this before. And they just hung on. And they came out, and there wasn't even the smell of smoke on their clothes. How strong do you think they felt then? But you can't get to the other side of the furnace without going through. The will of God, living in the will of God, makes you strong. Because it brings tranquility. When we lived in Tukwila, I was part of an organization called the Seattle King County Disaster Team, and it was a private organization, but we responded to large disasters uh, at the request of the federal government, like the Northridge California earthquake. So they call, and basically we had a deal where uh, 12 hours later we're out the door, headed to wherever it is they want to send us, and so... Boy, we beat feet and packed our own stuff and packed up 20,000 pounds of, of, our, of team gear and we get in a bus and, and we go and we, we wait and we go and we wait and we go and finally they flew us out of McCord and we get to California about, uh, oh, we were probably 24 hours or 30 hours after the disaster and they took us to a, a defunct Air Force base along with several other teams they brought from around the country and we sat there for four days while the federal government argued with the state of California over who was in charge. Yeah. It's pretty easy to see that kind of foolishness. But it's a little more challenging to realize that we are just as foolish when we argue with God over who's in charge of our lives. 
You know, our team eventually got deployed. We saw 100 patients a day in our medical clinic, and, and that was four days after the event. What in the world would it have been if we'd have gotten in right away? Lost opportunity because of arrogance. That wouldn't happen to you, would it? God wants to bless us. He wants to give us great things. Security about eternity. Relationship with himself. Confidence about our choices. And tranquility in our difficulty. But we have to submit to his will. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, help us. We are so proud and stubborn and arrogant. And we're just so wrapped up in our own joy and comfort. Help us. Help us to hang on to your hand and to never let go. And as we do that, will you give us your strength as you have promised? I pray in Christ's name, amen.